Well, our scripture reading for this morning is found in the book of Acts chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 26. So let's read these good words together. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Praise God. You may be seated. Uh, So I want to start off this morning by asking each of us a question. Have you ever met someone before that says, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church? You know, I prefer to worship on my own. I prefer to follow Jesus on my own. Maybe even some of us here have said that before. You know, maybe some of us have believed before that church really isn't that important. You know, it's just kind of an an optional part of our faith, right? If you go to church, well, hey, that's, that's fine and dandy. But if you don't go to church, well, that's no big deal. Church really isn't that important. It's just kind of an, an optional part of our faith. But in scripture, however, we read the complete opposite In Scripture, meeting together wasn't just a good suggestion. Uh, Meeting together wasn't something that just uh, the early Christians sometimes did. No, meeting together was something that the early Christians devoted themselves to, urged one another to do, and risked their lives to do. It was a serious deal. Uh, In many cases, it was a matter of life and death. They devoted themselves to urge one another to do and risk their lives to meet together. And whenever they met together, whenever the church gathered, there was this great sense of urgency and importance and power. And so my hope for this morning here at Acts 2 is that that similar sense of power and and importance and urgency would be rekindled in our own hearts. That meeting together every Sunday wouldn't just be something that we do, but it would be something that God uses to radically transform us and mold us and shape us into the people that he's calling us to be. And ultimately, that we would be reminded this morning of why we gather, of why we do what we do as Acts 2 United Methodist Church. This Sunday, we finish off our current sermon series called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And and so for the sermon series, we've been journeying through the book of Acts. So in week one, we looked at the ascension of Jesus Christ. and, And so right before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, He sent out his disciples. He sent out his disciples to the ends of the earth. He sent them out to uncharted, unknown, new territory. Places they had never been before. Places they had never set foot before. Places they had never dreamed of going before. So so that was week one, what we looked at in the sermon series. And then week two, we looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And how just as Jesus had said, the Holy Spirit filled and empowered his followers. And whenever that happened... All heaven broke loose. And the Jesus movement went from being 120 in number to over 3,000 in number. It was a a miraculous, powerful event. And and so we were reminded in week two that the same spirit that filled and empowered the earliest followers of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is living and burning within each and every single one of us. 
So that was week two. And then week three in the sermon series, we looked at this new community that was emerging, that was forming at the end of Acts chapter two. It was a community of people who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It was this community of co-laborers, these people who worked well with one another and worked well with God. And then finally, last week, we talked about how God sometimes leads us off the beaten trail. And so for Peter in Acts chapter 10, that was him going and doing ministry with the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the people who were previously excluded underneath the old covenant. And so I know that was a lot right there. You know, that was just a, a 10 chapters of scripture in just a couple of minutes. I know that was a lot, but that brings us to where we are in Acts chapter 11 today. And here in Acts chapter 11, we read about this awesome church in Antioch. And this church was so in tune with the Holy Spirit, they were just doing church right, right? They were just in tune with the Holy Spirit and doing church right. And, and so as we find ourselves today in 2019 in uncharted territory, I think we can learn so much from the Antioch church and from the way that they modeled ministry. See, today we're living in what Todd Bossinger calls a post-Christendom world. This is kind of the definition he gives. He says, church is seen as irrelevant and, become, and can become marginalized in society. And so in his book, Canoeing the Mountains, that we as a staff have been reading, this is what he says about this post-Christendom world. He says, churches are facing change on an unprecedented scale. Churches and church leaders are becoming increasingly irrelevant, even marginalized. Shared corporate faith is viewed with cynicism at best, best, downright hostility at worst. The cultural advantage we experience during 17 centuries of Christendom has almost completely dissipated. That's what we're talking about whenever we talk about uncharted territory. That's the reality that churches are having to face today. It's the reality of churches having to, to close their doors. It's the reality of churches once growing and vibrant, just barely able to, to pay their bills week to week. You know, once you could build a new church and people would come to it and it would be normal for all of your neighbors to go to church, but that's not the case anymore. Now it's almost the exception. So how are we going to respond? How are we as the church of Jesus Christ going to go forward in this uncharted territory? Well, I think the answer is that we need to reframe our strategy in order to look more like the church in Antioch. You know, for the sermon series, if you've been following along, we've been looking at the expedition of these two guys right there, uh, Lewis and Clark, and their expedition of Louisiana territory, right? And how they expected to find a water route connecting the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean. That's not what they found at all. They found the opposite. They found the Rocky Mountains. And in that moment, they had to leave behind everything that they had been preparing for. They had to leave behind all of their canoes, and they had to reframe their strategy. And so that's exactly what they did. Uh, they reframed their strategy by making their trip more about exploration, more about discovery, and not about finding a non-existent water route. And that's exactly what they did once they reframed their territory. Now, instead of trying to find this water route, they made all of these scientific discoveries. They discovered new species of plants, new species of animals, all because they reframed their strategy. They had such a successful journey because they reframed their strategy. And we're still talking about them today over 200 years later. So, so now let's apply this to the church. Let's talk about we as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's talk about how we can reframe our strategy. How many times does our strategy to reach new people, to make disciples 
Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, how many times does our strategy look something like this? We just open our doors, and, and what are the people doing in that picture? They're waiting. They're just waiting for people to come. And, and so many times, this can be many churches' strategy to reach new people. Build a church, open up the doors, and wait. <laughs> wait for people to come. And, and, you know, that may have worked 50, 60 70 years ago, but it's not going to work today because we're finding ourselves in uncharted territory. And, and churches that only do that, churches that never actively engage in the world around them, they're going to struggle. They're going to find themselves in an uphill battle whenever it comes to navigating through uncharted territory. So in this reframing of strategy, I think we need to redefine the way that we view church. Because church is not a consumer culture where all we do is come week after week after week and just take and receive and, and never give. Church is not a consumer culture. Church is not a convenience culture where we come week after week and never expect or allow ourselves to be radically transformed by the awesome love of God. And church is not a social club where we just come week after week just to shoot the breeze, catch up on what's new. That's not what church is. Now, I think a great way to, to view the local church today is as a mission outpost. A mission outpost. Here's what Todd Bosslinger has to say about this. For church leaders facing this missional moment, this uncharted territory, the reframing of strategy, of church strategy, from a sanctuary-centered, membership-based, religious and life service provider to a local mission outpost for furthering the kingdom of God enables our congregations to discover a faithful expression of our corporate identity in a changing world. That's the kind of church we want to be like. The church that exists to further the kingdom of God by equipping, building up, and sending out believers into a changing world. And that's exactly what the church in Antioch did. The church in Antioch was a church that dug deep and reached out. They knew that going deep in the relationships with one another and with the Lord, as well as reaching out to the ends of the earth, those were two sides of the same coin. Uh, they said, if we're, going to, if we're going to do church right, if we're going to be serious about this church thing, then our time together has to be real. Our time together has to be genuine. We must go deep if we want to go far. So first off, let's talk about how the church in Antioch dug deep, because that's exactly what they did. Their fellowship went beyond surface-level fellowship. They went beyond empty prayers and meaningless worship services. They went deep. Number one, the church in Antioch went deep with devotion, right? Similar to the believers in Acts chapter 2 who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayers, the believers in Antioch here in Acts chapter 11, they did the same thing. They were devoted, and see, the church in Antioch, they were a brand new church. They had arisen simply out of a need, but because before this, all of the followers of Jesus were together in one place. They were all of one heart, all of one mind, gathered in the same place. But then Stephen was stoned. He was executed. And so this is what happens after. We read this in Acts 8.1. That day, the day Stephen was executed, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. And then we read a couple late verses later in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went from place to place proclaiming the word. Isn't that beautiful? Wherever they went, 
for whatever reason they were there, they were proclaiming the word. And then flash forward to the chapter we're in today, Acts chapter 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And I say all of that, uh, I say all of that information, I give that history about the church in Antioch to say this. If you had a church of undevoted people, you didn't have a church at this time, at least not for very long. Because persecution, troubles, hardship, uh, heartache, uh, hardships, I messed up on that word right there, but that's okay. Uh, all of these difficulties were going to rise. And if you had a church of undevoted people, you didn't have a church. It wasn't going to last. So the church in Antioch, they were a devoted church. They went deep with devotion. Number two, the Antioch church went deep with encouragement. These are the words we read earlier in Acts chapter 11. When Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Amen. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. So whenever the church at Antioch met, whenever they gathered together, they lifted each other up. They spoke words of encouragement, words to uplift, words to build. And, and notice how it was Barnabas who was doing the exhorting. Uh, we read earlier in the book of Acts that Barnabas, his name actually means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. So it's no wonder that the believers loved meeting together, that they were devoted meeting together, because every time that they gathered, every time that they had church, they were speaking words of encouragement. They were lifting and building each other up. And how cool would it be if we were known as a church of encouragers? A church of many Barnabases, or, or Barnabai, is that the, the plural of Barnabas? Maybe we should just stick with encouragers. Yeah, let, let's be known as a church of encouragers. And, and while the world outside us may be known for tearing others down and, and kind of discouraging people, may we be known as a place of encouragement, a place where we can come and, and find refreshment and be lifted up. I love and treasure these words in Ephesians 4. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. How different would our lives look? How different would the lives of those around us look if all we said were words to build others up? The church in Antioch, number two, they went deep with encouragement. Number three, the Antioch church went deep with discipleship. This is what we read earlier in verse 26. So it was that for an entire year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. See, in the meeting together and in the fellowship and in the encouraging of one another, they didn't neglect discipleship. They were persistent in their teaching day after day after day for an entire year. They were laying the foundation, laying the groundwork for what it meant to be a radical Christ follower. This healthy, sound, good teaching, this good doctrine, it was being laid day after day for an entire year. And these Christians, these followers of Jesus in Antioch, they knew this very well. That if we want to make disciples, we must first be disciples. Uh, I've heard some pastors put it this way. Uh, this is a little more simple. Disciples make disciples. <laughs> 
disciples make disciples. So in following Jesus and imitating him and and living in the way that Jesus lived, we too can bring others with us. We as disciples can make disciples. So through their devotion, their encouragement, and their discipleship, the church in Antioch went deep. They went deep in their sincerity to Christ Jesus. They went deep in their relationships with others. They went deep in the encouraging words that were spoken to one another. But even more than digging deep, the church in Antioch also reached out. I love these words in Acts chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The Antioch Church is a church that reached out. Number one, the Antioch Church reached out after encountering the Holy Spirit. You know, it was during this time of worship, during this time of fasting and praying, that the Holy Spirit came and called Paul and Barnabas. You know, this church, the church in Antioch, it was a church that was open to the Holy Spirit's moving and speaking and guiding. These people who were worshiping and praying, they were creating this environment that the Holy Spirit's voice could be heard more easily. And in their worship service, in their praying, in their fasting, the Holy Spirit interrupted them. And I shared this with one church on Friday night. That's my hope for all of our church services. Every church service at one church, every church service at at Acts 2, that the Holy Spirit would interrupt our worship. That in our praying, that in our worship, the Holy Spirit would be speaking to our hearts. and, And here in this very place that we are right now, we would be cultivating an environment where we regularly encounter God himself. I think what's so beautiful about this is after encountering the Holy Spirit, Paul and Barnabas, they are driven to Christ-centered ministry. And uh, I think the same is so true today. Whenever we encounter the Holy Spirit, whenever we hear the Holy Spirit speak, we're going to be driven out into the world to do this Christ-centered ministry. After encountering the Holy Spirit, Paul and Barnabas, they couldn't help but go out and be obedient. They couldn't help but go out and share the good news of Jesus because they had tasted and seen that God is good. Uh, The second way the church in Antioch reached out is this. The, The church in Antioch reached out to diverse groups. There were Jews and Gentiles a part of this church, insiders and outsiders, people from close by, people from far away, people who were poor and people who were from royalty, very, very diverse. Uh, Here's what James Dunn, a a biblical scholar, had to say about the people, the leaders in uh, in the church in Antioch. He says, a Levite from Cyprus, a black man, a North African from Cyrene, a boyhood friend of Herod Antipas, and a Pharisee educated under Gamaliel were acknowledged to be spiritual dynamos. Can't you just feel the diversity that was at this church in Antioch? Uh, Whenever I was preparing the sermon, I was trying to think of a a story or an event in my life where I couldn't go to something because of whatever reason. And I was reminded to my freshman year at OCU, uh, there was a big push to join fraternities or sororities. And growing up in northeastern Oklahoma in the small town of Inola, I had basically no idea as to what a fraternity or a sorority was. And so I remember being on Facebook and watching one of my female friends have a a Facebook Live video. And I was watching it, and uh, she was advertising this event that was going on on campus at the 
the time, and it looked like a blast. Uh, I mean, there was music playing, and there's pizza boxes all over the place, and there's games, and there's just tons of people. It looked like a blast, and, and I really wanted to go. And, and so I commented on her video, and I said, I'm on my way. And uh, whenever she saw my comment, she started laughing, and she said, John, this is a sorority recruitment event. It's only for women. And, and uh, I should have known that. I was kind of embarrassed then, kind of embarrassed now, to be honest. Um, I just thought it was an event for everybody. But, uh, uh, but I, I share that embarrassing story uh, to, to say this. There was no requirement like that to be a part of the church. There was no gender requirement. There was no ethnicity requirement. There was no background check to see if your past was spotless. A lot of those guys couldn't have made it if there was a background check. Uh, right? In fact, there was only one qualification to be a part of this church. And we read this in Acts chapter 2. And this is an awesome verse. Uh, This is right after Peter preaches this amazing sermon. And all these people are cut to the heart of it, it says. And and they come to Peter and say, brothers, what should we do? And and this is Peter's response. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's all that it took to be a part of the early church. We read this over and over and over in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. The church in Antioch reached out to diverse groups. And finally, number three, the Antioch church reached out in love. And this is the most important point. This is what it all comes down to. If we don't add this point, then everything else just falls apart. (laughs) Before the Antioch church, the followers of Jesus, they weren't called Christians. Uh, In some places, they were called followers of the way. Kind of like that. Maybe we should bring that back. Followers of the way. Uh, In some places, they were called apostles, disciples, believers, and so on. But, But they weren't called Christians until the church in Antioch. And you know, Scripture really doesn't tell the story of uh of the first person being called a Christian. I would love to read that story. I think that'd be an awesome, awesome story. But, but scripture just says it was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. And although scripture doesn't say exactly who did the calling of them Christians, I like to think that it was those around them. <laughs> that it wasn't just the, the Christians waking up one morning and saying, you know what? Christian sounds kind of good. Let's, let's start calling ourselves that. That has a nice ring to it. I, I don't think that's how it went about. No, I like to think that the people in Antioch saw the believers' love, saw their gentleness, their humility, their joy, and their hope. In their conversations with these believers, they found kindness and generosity. They saw the way the believers behaved. They saw the way they ran their businesses with integrity, how they were honest and fair in the marketplace, how they helped those who were in need. And and they probably said, you know what, these believers, these people at the church, They remind me of this so-called Jesus Christ fellow that I've heard so much about. This Jesus who said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This Jesus who said, the greatest among you are the servants. This Jesus who said, let the children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The Jesus who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Yes. These disciples in Antioch remind me of that Jesus. They truly love. Let's call them Christians. That's how I think the people in Antioch came to be known as Christians. 
And again, friends, this is what it all comes down to. It all comes down to love. If we dig miles deep, if we reach out to the ends of the earth, yet we don't love, we have nothing, and we are nothing. And I'm sure each of us here today have seen people go outside the walls of the church and try to reach out in very unloving ways, maybe with angry signs or with bullhorns or with screaming, but that's not the Jesus we read about in the Gospels. The one who picked up his cross and laid down his life for us. The one who said, I've come to save and seek the lost. The one who showed us what love truly is. So it's my hope that in all that we do, in everything that we say, in digging deep and in reaching out, we would do all of that in love. And whenever we, like the church in Antioch, whenever we dig deep and reach out, we will find ourselves with so many unique opportunities to share the good news of Jesus and be his witnesses. I encourage you to read the following chapters in the book of Acts. You read some amazing stories of the apostles getting to go to places they never would have imagined going, uh, standing before kings and governors and all these royal people. I mean, God took them to places that they had never dreamed of going, uh, being able to testify in front of all these smart scholars. I mean, it's amazing the miracles that you read about later on in, in the book of Acts. So I encourage you to read some of those chapters and, and read uh, some of the stories of what happened to the early church. And, you know, I, I've seen that in my own life. I, I've seen God open up doors and, and allow me to, to share his goodness with others and, and to be a witness for him. And, and so I really want to share one of my favorite stories of, of that happening. Uh, whenever I was in the eighth grade, I uh, went on my first mission trip. Uh, we went to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. Uh, it's a border town in Mexico, just right on the other side of, you guessed it, Laredo, Texas. And, and this entire mission trip, it was all about sharing the gospel. It was about evangelizing. Uh, that one week we were there, we saw around 600 people give their hearts to Christ. It was amazing. Revival broke out. One of the best, uh, most formative weeks of my life. Uh, but what we did, uh, there was about 50 of us on this trip. We would go around uh, the town and we would do this drama. Uh, and this drama was really about, you know, a king and people of the land and the people of the land rebelling against the king but the king still loves them you know uh, just kind of a, a story but it's obviously much deeper it's, it's about the gospel it's about the story of redemption through jesus christ but uh, to kind of cover that it was about kings and king uh, and the kingdom and all of that well anyways uh, since there were about 50 of us on this group we divided up into two groups of about 25 each and we just drove around to different places doing the drama and sharing the gospel afterwards well, the other group, the group that I was not in, they were planning on going to a juvenile detention center one day, and they were going to do the drama, share the gospel, and they were pumped about that, just getting to speak life into these you know, young men and women. But the thing was, the night before, two people escaped from the juvenile detention center, and it was on lockdown. Uh, so this group wasn't able to go in at all. They were completely denied access. And so they were really discouraged. They were kind of bummed out about that. And, and so they started praying and calling around saying, you know, where can we go if we can't go here? And, and so they found this drug and alcohol rehab center. And so they called the, the manager there and, and he said, you know, you can come, but you can't do the drama. You can just kind of have a few conversations with some of the people here. And, and so the group was kind of discouraged. You know, they really wanted to do the drama, but that was better than nothing. So anyways, they get in their vans, and, and whenever they get to the rehab center, they're, they're walking in, and the people come to meet them and say, you couldn't have come at a more perfect time. You can do the drama now, and you can share your message afterward. And so they enter into the room where they're doing this drama. And on the back wall, there's this painting. There's a picture of it here on the screen. There's this painting of Jesus on the cross. And uh, the leader of this group says to that guy, the, the person playing Jesus, he said, during the crucifixion scene of the drama, I want you to actually go up against the wall. You can see him doing that in that, that picture right there. 
And so during the drama, when this was taking place, everyone at the rehab center started looking around, and you could just tell that something was happening. Well, after the drama, the the gospel was shared, and almost every person at the rehab center gave their hearts to Christ. It was amazing. And, And the group stayed around a little bit longer, and and one of them started looking at the painting a little bit closer. And, you know, you can see in the bottom right corner where the artist signs his name and you can see the date. Well, they found out that the painting was finished the day before they got there. And, and the person who painted that painting, he came up to the group and said, I had no idea what I was painting whenever I did that. But I had this vision, this dream from God. That if I painted that, people would come and tell me what it means. And the day after he finished it, this group of students from Oklahoma who weren't even supposed to be there in the first place, they were supposed to be at the juvenile detention center, came, shared what that meant, and revival broke out. And I share that story because, again, I wholeheartedly believe that whenever we dig deep, whenever we dig deep with devotion, encouragement, and discipleship, as well as reach out through the Holy Spirit, to diverse groups in love. We're going to have these awesome, unique opportunities to share the goodness of God with others. So let's encourage these, or let's uh, let's use these other action steps this week. Number one, encourage a brother or sister in Christ this week, right? Even if it's just this morning, right? Lift up a brother or sister in Christ. Write them an encouraging note. Send them a text. uh, Write on their Facebook wall if you have to. Just whatever it takes, just encourage a brother or sister in Christ this week. Because again, we want to be known as a community of encouragers, a community of people who lift one another up. Uh, And then the second action step is this. Think of a person in your life who is unlikely to attend church. Pray for that person. The person that everyone else has given up on. The person that people say, oh, he or she, they'll never become a Christian. That person will never darken the walls of a church. Who is that person in your life? And pray for that person. Because, you know, God has a reputation for calling the most unworthy and unlikely people to himself. I think of the Apostle Paul who called himself the least of the apostles. He said, I am unfit to even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. God has a reputation for calling the most unworthy and unlikely. And then the third action step is give the name Christian a positive connotation. You know, there are so many negative narratives believed about Christians today. Prove them wrong. Prove them wrong. I want to close by sharing this. Every Friday at One Church, we have this A-frame that's in front of the chapel. Uh, As you can see, it says One Church on it. It has an arrow pointing to the chapel where we worship on Friday nights. And uh, I told One Church on Friday, uh, on Friday nights at 6.30, that's absolutely true. One Church is that direction. One Church is in the chapel on Friday nights at 6.30. But as soon as 7.30 rolls around, that sign shouldn't be pointing that direction anymore. (laughs) It should be pointing the other direction, right? Because we are going out into the world after digging deep into fellowship with one another and digging deep into God's holy scriptures, we then reach out. We are entering our mission field now. Uh, So I share all of this to say this. I pray that like the church in Antioch, we would be a church that both digs deep and reaches out. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that today, each and every single one of us would have the power to grasp just a little bit more how deep, how wide, how high, how long your love is. This love that 
raises lives. <laughs> oh, this love that's greater than the grave itself. I pray that our hearts would be filled with that love this morning. And God, I pray for each of us that, that every time we gather, our fellowship, our words, our encouragement, it would be more than surface level. God, I pray that we would go deep. <laughs> we would go deep in our relationship with you. We would go deep in our relationships with one another. And, and even more, God, I pray that your love, your awesome love, would compel us, would drive us outside these walls, God, so that everyone we meet, all of our neighbors, all of our coworkers, wherever we may be, oh God, that they would see you. <laughs> and that the, the negative narratives about Christianity today and, and Christians would be flipped, <laughs> would be changed. And so God, we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.